0: know where to go after that. (laughs) Today is certainly Pentecost Sunday. In Jewish tradition, Pentecost Sunday has been known as the season of the open heavens. Agriculturally, it was referred to as the season of the open heavens because it was a time when the people would pray and ask God to send the rains at the right time. It also became known as the season of the open heavens because after God delivered his people out of Egyptian bondage, he opened up the heavens and gave his law and his government to his people so that those who were not a people would now be the people of the Most High God. And then on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, God opened the heavens and sent the Holy Spirit and the church was birthed and we became a people that could be empowered by God's presence. If Pentecost means anything at all, it means this, God has empowered his people to do that which pleases him. God has empowered his people so that in moments of difficulty, we do not capitulate to the moment, but rather we are empowered by him to be more than overcomers. The power of Pentecost means not necessarily that God gives you the money to pay your bills, but in those moments when you don't have the money to pay your bills, you have faith that he is able to do and to provide. (laughs) Pentecost means this. If we are bound, we can come to Jesus and know what it is to be set free. If we are overwhelmed, overcome with despair and grief, we know that we are empowered to offer up a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. Pentecost means empowerment. And if there's ever been a moment in the history of the church when we have needed to walk under the open heaven and walk in the empowering presence of God, it would be this moment. Now, if you believe what I have said, that we are a people who live under an open heaven, that God has rent the heavens and he has come down and he has sent his spirit. If you believe that we are a people who live under an open heaven, then you also have to be aware that there are actions and choices and decisions that we make on a regular basis that cause us to stick up a little umbrella that prevents the flow of God's presence from touching and changing and operating through our lives. The message that I believe that the Lord has placed upon my heart this morning for this congregation is specifically to address the sin of Jeroboam. There are many sins, that we can commit, there are many actions and thoughts that we can walk in that would prevent us from walking in that flow of God's empowering presence. But this morning, I specifically want to address with you the sin of Jeroboam, because I believe that the church, not Bethesda in particular, but the church at large, Those individuals who have said yes to the lordship and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Those men and women who have been filled with his spirit. I believe that we are being called upon constantly by the world to compromise what is right and what is true. And in that compromise is the loss of power. And I don't know about you, I am not interested in losing that empowering presence of God in and through my life. Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. We thank you that you are the God of the open heaven. We thank you, my Father, that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that you rent the heavens and you came down, and that you are still coming toward us through your Son and through your Spirit. Father, we ask you this morning that we not just be hearers of your Word, but that we be doers of your Word. Holy Spirit, we have sung it, We have declared it and we have prayed it and we ask one more time, manifest your presence in our midst this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome and that is not a casual invitation, that is a desperate cry. Come, Spirit of the living God. Come with fire to cleanse and to purge your people. Come with rains of refreshing to renew and to restore our lives. Come with transforming power so that we do not leave this place today the same as we came. And we ask this for the honor and the glory of the most excellent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, find with me in your Bibles the book of 1 Kings. I'm going to read from chapter 11, verses 26, and then jump to to verses 29 through 33. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zerudah, a servant of Solomon, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow also lifted up his hand against the king. And then down to verse 29. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah, the find him found him on the road. Now Ahijah had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in an open country. Then Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, "'Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom "'from the hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. "'But he shall have one tribe.'" for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtaroth, the the, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight, and keeping my statutes and my rules, as David his father did. Now jump on down to verse 37. And I will take you, this is the Lord speaking to Jeroboam, and I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you and I will afflict the offspring of David because this is, because of this, but not forever. Then jump over to chapter 12, verse 20. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Drop down to verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam king of Judah. Then chapter 13, verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places, again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priest of the high places, and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. What an intense narrative in Scripture. This is the situation. David has died. Solomon has ruled in his place and contrary to popularly popular popular, can't get my words out. Contrary to popular belief, Solomon was not a good king. Solomon married many foreign women. He allowed the worship of other gods and even involved himself in the worship of those other gods. And God, in his anger and displeasure towards Solomon, declared that he would cut Solomon off, but not completely because we know that Messiah was going going to come through the lineage of Judah or the house of David. So in this moment, when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took his place. Rehoboam made some very foolish decisions, but in the midst of all this, God speaks to a man named Jeroboam. And he tells Jeroboam, Jeroboam, Solomon has really messed up and his son's not going to do any better. So I tell you what, I'm going to give you 10 tribes. Jeroboam did not ask for this. He didn't send out some petition trying to make it happen. God sent the prophet Ahijah and declared this to Jeroboam. I'm going to make you a king and give you 10 tribes. And not only that, he said, I'll let you rule over whatever your soul desires. Can you imagine God speaking to you and saying to you, just whatever your soul desires, that's what I'm going to give you. And the only thing that you have to do, one, you have to listen to the word God. Of the Lord our church we've listened to so many voices I am not completely aware of all the things going on out there wherever out there might be but I know within the context of the church there are all kinds of voices one of the strongest voices are some of the people that are addressing church growth and some of the things that they are saying that needs to happen for the church to grow is just outright sin and catering to the needs and the whims of the people as opposed to the pleasure of the Spirit, the living God. Church growth is not about numbers. Church growth is about men and women coming to a transforming, saving encounter with the Son of God. Anything less than that is just the growing of another country club. There are many men and women out there that call themselves preachers of the gospel, but they are nothing more than motivational speakers. There isn't anything wrong with being a motivational speaker, but the only thing I want to motivate anyone to do is come to a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We are not in need of greater self-esteem and a greater sense of ego. We are in need of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit transforming us and making us new creations in Christ Jesus. Salvation is defined not by a prayer that you pray. Salvation is defined by the transformation of a human life. I was once like this, but now I'm like this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Something has happened, and who I used to be is not who I am now. And who I am going to be is not yet seen. What voices are we listening to? There are people that are telling you, you can have it all and you can have it your way. Certainly you can do, but you might miss heaven and find yourself in hell. What is it if we gain the whole world and lose our own souls? What is it if we feel good about ourselves and everyone knows who we are, but at the end of our life, we have done nothing for the Son of God? Listen to the voice of the Lord. What's the Lord saying? Here's a book full of things that He's saying. If you want to know what the Lord is saying, instead of seeking out another prophet, instead of seeking out another motivational speaker, open the book and ask the Spirit of God to speak to you through the Word of God. Church, it's time for us to grow up. He says, Jeroboam, if you will listen to the Word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord, not the words of the people around you, but listen to the word of the Lord. And if you will, do what is right. Oh, it's hard to do what's right. It's a lot easier to talk about it. But I think that we have gotten so good about talking about what is right that we think that talking about it and doing it are the same thing, and they are not. We can talk about doing right all day long, but it's a different story when we have to put our lives into it and actually live it out. The world is looking at us to see if we really are who we say we are. And that is played out every day by us doing what is right. Listen to the word of the Lord. Do what is right and walk in the ways of the Lord. A walk is composed of one step at a time. We are good at beginning to end, but it's the middle that we have problems with. It's everything in between. It's Monday through Saturday that's the walk. How are you walking? Are you walking straight before the Lord? And when you fall down, because most of us do, when you fall down, are you getting back up again and moving on? Walking in the way of the Lord, not in the way of the world, not in the way of the newest guru that's coming out on television, not walking in the way of Dr. Phil or someone like that, but walking in the way of the Lord. Listen, do, and walk. You think, oh man, God told, Jer- God told Jeroboam, all that your soul desires, I'll give to you if you will just do these things. It's a no-brainer. You would think he would go, oh, Father, help me to be able to to live up to your expectations of me. I want to be everything that you've destined me to be. But that's not what happened. Jeroboam, surely, as God told him, you will be king. He didn't go and announce himself as king. When uh, Solomon died and Rehoboam made some foolish choices, the ten tribes came to him and they made him king. He didn't make himself king. They made him king under the influence and direction of the Spirit of God. But once Rehoboam became king, it says, and he consulted with his own heart. Let that sink in. He didn't pray about it. He didn't seek counsel from people who are spiritually wise. He didn't say, where are the prophets of my day? He consulted with his own heart. In verses 27 and 28, it says, He said in his heart, He took counsel with himself and he leaned on his own understanding. Let's look at some people through Scripture who have leaned to their own understanding. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, after a conversation with the serpent, Eve decides. She leaned to her own understanding. She consulted with her own heart. It looks good to the eyes and I bet it tastes good too. She leaned to her own understanding and she was disobedient to the word of the Lord and that action brought all of humanity into sin. She leaned to her own understanding. How much trouble have you gotten into when you leaned on your own understanding? Now, when Eve leaned on her own understanding, the serpent had enticed her by saying, God knows in the day that you eat thereof, you will be like him. That blows me away because she's already like God. He's tempting her with what God has already promised her. He created them male and female in his own image. He created them. She was already like God. See, this is what she really wanted. It wasn't about being like God. She wanted to supplant God in her life and be her own God. Because when we lean to our own understanding and we take counsel within our own heart, that's what we are really after. We are saying no to his lordship and establishing ourselves as the authority within our own hearts and lives. And that never works for anyone. In Genesis chapter 16, Sarah thought it would be a good idea since she had had no children to offer Hagar to Abraham. That didn't work out very well either and we are still seeing the implications and repercussions of that event. I think you're getting the idea. Whenever we lean on our own understanding and do what is right in our own heart, taking counsel within our own heart, it always ends in disaster. In chapter 17, Abram laughed at the promise of God and because he had no son, took it upon himself to begin to to, um, craft Ishmael to be the one to inherit everything. In Genesis chapter 27, Esau decided that what he needed to do was to murder Jacob because of what his brother had done to him. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. So Aaron decided because the people were restless, that what he needed to do was to build a golden calf for them. In 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, David said in his own heart, Surely someday Saul will kill me even though God had said he was going to make David king over the United Monarchy because it hasn't happened in David's time frame. Now he's consulting with his own heart, taking matters in his own hands, and he says, Surely Saul will one day kill me. So David joins himself with the Philistines, and had it not been for God, he would have found himself fighting against his own people. The 10th chapter of Psalms is all about people who lean on their own understanding. In verses 6, 11, and 13, these are the ideas presented from Psalm 10. The first idea is that the person that leans on their own understanding has the attitude of, it may have gone wrong for other people, but it'll work for me. If it's gone wrong the last 2,000 years when someone has tried it, chances are it won't do anything better for you. Psalm 10 also says that the person who leans on their own understanding takes on the attitude of God just doesn't see me. God's not directly involved with me right now. He's not speaking to me. He's not doing anything for me. I'm not feeling Him. I'm not sensing Him. So I will do what I want to do. This is a dangerous thing, especially for those of us who are Pentecostals and Charismatics. When we do not sense the presence of God, we will almost invariably try to do something to pump it up. And what we do to pump it up is usually not a pleasant thing, nor is it pleasing to the Lord. And finally, from Psalm 10, the person that leans to their own understanding takes on the attitude of, I will not be held responsible nor accountable for what I have done. I will do this, but I will make somebody else responsible for it. It reminds me in the book of Samuel when Saul is told to destroy everything. And Samuel shows up. And Saul runs to him and says, oh, I've done everything the Lord has told me to do. And Samuel, like any good prophet, says, well, then what's this bleeding I hear in my ears? And listen to Saul. Oh, I took it upon myself to decide that I would spare the best to give as a sacrifice to the Lord. And then Samuel says those great words, to obey is better than sacrifice. When we lean to our own understanding, we will always look to blame someone else. The people made me do it. The moment demanded that I respond like this. I had to. No, you don't. You never have to be disobedient. You have the choice to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I will not turn back. One thing that we can know for certain about the human heart and any consultation that we take up with the human heart Our hearts are broken and depraved. So any decision that we make based solely on our heart will be equally broken and depraved. The end result of Jeroboam's consultation with himself is fear. The Lord had promised him a kingdom and an ongoing dynasty. But after consulting with his own understanding, fear compelled him to finish in the flesh what God had started in the spirit. We see this with Adam and Eve trying to finish in the flesh what God had started in the spirit. David in 1 Samuel chapter 6 decides that he wants to bring the ark of God which represents the presence of God into the capital of Jerusalem which is a good and a right thing. But instead of doing it God's way according to the law of God David does it his way. He wants the presence of God without the government of God. But isn't that trying to finish in the flesh what God starts in the spirit? They want his presence, but not his government. They wanted to control their own lives and not be accountable to the Lord. In Galatians chapter three, verse three, Paul writes this, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would now try to take up in the flesh and finish what God started in his spirit. Church, when God starts it in his spirit, we need to trust him to finish it. Not the way we imagine, not in our time frame, not even maybe through the means and the people that we thought, but what God starts, he is faithful to see through to completion. So oftentimes we try to take up in the flesh those things that God initiates in his spirit because we want to say, okay, God, that's enough. Okay, you can move back now. I've got this. I can control this now. I like what you're doing. I just don't like the people that you're bringing around me. So I'm going to finish this now and bring in the people I like. Oh, God, I love that idea. That's a great idea. Now go on and sit back here while I put it all together. He is not only the author. He is not only the finisher. He's everything in the middle. Jesus isn't just the center of my life. He is the center of all things. He is the beginning and He is the ending and He's everything in the middle. Whenever our actions are driven by fear and what people think of us, it will inevitably end in disaster. So what does Jeroboam do? He's consulting with his own heart. The people who are way over here in the northern kingdom, the temple of God is way over there in Jerusalem. When they leave the northern kingdom and they go to Jerusalem to worship God for the appointed festivals, they're going to remember, oh, the temple of the Lord. Oh, all the things that Jerusalem has to offer. And their hearts are going to be captivated, and I'm going to lose my kingdom. Do you know people who are afraid of losing what God has given What God gives to you, He will not take back from you. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. When He calls you and when He gives you a promise, He doesn't change His mind. Other people may have changed their mind about you. Other people may have, in midstream, gone with someone else and somewhere else. But God doesn't do that. When He calls you, when He stirs His anointing up within you, He has chosen you and He will not take back what he has deposited in your life. I know that there are people in this congregation this morning and God's deposited things in your life, but you have gone your own way. And yet that call of God never shuts up. It's never quiet. And you know that your life is compromised and you know that you have gone your own way and you have tried to finish in the flesh what God started in the spirit. Today's your day. The Spirit of God is here calling you, convicting you, and drawing you back to put yourself once again on the easel of God that he might finish what he has started in your life. Jeroboam says to himself, what can I do to keep them from going to Jerusalem? I know, I know what I'll do. I'll establish worship centers at Dan and Bethel ancient religious sites for the Israelites and oh, oh, you know, Aaron built golden calves. I'll build golden calves and I'll give them a place to worship and I'll give them an object for their affections and they will ever have to go to Jerusalem again. But how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to convince them that this is what they need to do? Oh, I know. I'll tell them, why should you have to travel so far to Jerusalem for what you can get right here? I'll make worship convenient for the people. I'll give them something they can see with their eyes and touch with their hands. I'll make it discount, bargain, and close. They won't have to give much. They won't have to do much. It will require minimal effort on their part, and they'll go for it. And they did. Listen to this logic. I will make worship easy and painless for you. It costs too much to travel to Jerusalem. Here's a discount religious experience for you. I wonder when Jesus drove the money changers from the temple, if this wasn't a little bit of what was going on. Have you ever wondered what money changers were doing in the temple? Have you ever wondered why they were there? Why the people were so drawn to them and what business they offered? that would elicit such a large following, I heard one New Testament professor offer this idea. It is the responsibility, it is incumbent upon every follower of the Lord God to select their own sacrifice, to examine that sacrifice for spots and blemishes. Does it meet the requirement? Is it everything that it's supposed to be? Is it blind? Is it deformed in some way? Is there some speck where there shouldn't be a speck? Are its feet the way that they're supposed to be? Is this a healthy, acceptable sacrifice or is it unacceptable? The entire family would be involved in that process. They would have to go maybe to their own herds or to someone who had a herd. It costs Time and it cost money and it cost effort. It was not a careless, lackadaisical event. It was something that they had to be engaged in, but what it taught them was that sacrifice comes at a cost. What it taught them was that the forgiveness of your sin and a right relationship with God cost something and it is not cheap and it's not convenient. So what did the money changers do? Well, they stood in the courts of the temple and they said, Oh, don't waste your time trying to get the right animal. We have pre-approved animals at a bargain discount right here. You don't have to examine them. The priest has said okay on them. You don't have to check them out. You don't have to spend your time. And look, it's two for one today. That's what angered Jesus. It was worship without cost. It was worship of a holy and a righteous God that involved minimal effort on the people of God. It was convenient, and it was easy, and it was unacceptable. And that's what Jeroboam is stirring the people toward, a worship that's really no worship at all. Whenever our actions are driven by a fear of what people will think or do, we invariably build a golden calf for them. It can be constructed of many elements, or substances, and it can take on a myriad of shapes. But the truth remains, it is and it always has been and it always will be a golden calf. Whenever you are moved upon by fear to provide the people what they want in order to keep them from leaving or going somewhere else, you are involving yourself in the sin of Jeroboam. What's really going on here? what god started in the spirit resonated as a deep truth in their lives the totality of their being was saying yes and amen to what god was initiating in them jeroboam when god said i will make you a king something inside of him said yes i'm destined for that when the serpent said you will be like god something resonated with eve within eve and said yes i am destined for that when these things come something resonates within us. Yes, this is what God has called me to do. This is what I'm destined for. But instead of letting God fulfill it in his life, in their lives, in our lives, they took upon themselves to finish in the flesh what God was initiated in the Spirit. They wanted to do it their way. They wanted the promise, the blessings, the power, and the presence of God, but without the government of God. To try and fulfill the call or promise of God on your life and your own power and resources is an outright rejection of his lordship. And it will always end a disaster. The people were all too happy to agree with Jeroboam's offer. They wanted convenience more than they wanted holiness. That which can be seen and touched can also be controlled and manipulated. But we worship a God that forbids images of him for this very purpose. He is the invisible God. He's not limited by human imagination. And He is beyond our control and our manipulation. He is God. So go ahead, write your formulas. Go ahead and try to put into practice your plan for success. But I tell you this, if it is not the will of God, it will end in disaster. If it is not the will of God, you may have your moment, but it will only be for a moment. He is and always has been, God and God alone, and he is holy. When true worship is offered up at the altar of convenience, moral decisions are not far behind. Choosing to do what is right only when it's convenient. One of my favorite books is Jane Eyre. And one of the reasons I love this book, Jane Eyre, she has been mistreated and abused all of her life. Now a wealthy man loves her respects her is challenged by her and wants to be with her there's just one little problem and it's his wife he says to jane my wife is no wife at all she's insane and she was we can go abroad and no one will ever know that we are not legally married And we'll be married in commitment to each other. And this is how Jane responds to him. She said to him, what good is it to me if I obey the laws of God only when it is convenient for me? What good is it to us, church, if we follow Jesus only when it's convenient for us? What good is it for us if we do what he has asked us to do only when it's what we already want to do? The laws of God that's been written upon our hearts, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stirred up and alive within us, calls us to do what is right, even when convenience must be sacrificed, even when it hurts. Jeroboam took upon himself to establish where God was to be worshipped. And Dan and Bethel, how God was to be worshipped, as golden calves, and who could facilitate the worship? He established his own priests. This is the first instance of a political regime issuing a state religion. It is God who himself and God alone who issues where he is to be worshipped. When and how and who. When political figures or regimes take this task upon themselves, they will suffer a fate similar to that of Uzziah and eventually Jeroboam, and the spiritual substance and right moral standing of the people decline under such political entities. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, David has numbered the people, and that was a sin against the Lord because the Lord did not ask for that. So David tells, God tells David, I'll give you three choices. And David says, Lord... You choose, just do not let me fall into the hands of man. And so a plague of pestilence comes upon the people. Thousands of people are being killed. And David stands at the threshing floor of Aaronua and cries out to God, Oh God, it is not these innocent sheep, it is me. Now there's the heart of a true worshiper. Oh God, don't let someone else suffer for the choices and decisions that I've made. It is me, God. I'm not blaming and I'm not pointing my fingers at anyone. I'm saying it's me, Lord. And the Lord commands David to offer up a sacrifice. And there on the threshing floor of Araunah. Aaronua comes to David and says, Here, I'll give you the threshing floor. And, and oh, oh, put away your wallet. I'm going I'm to give you the sacrificial animal too. Here, I'll, I'll make it all available for you. And this is what David said, I will not offer to my God that which has cost me nothing. David knew the power of worship that was neither convenient nor cheap, but a worship that costs something. So what is the sin of Jeroboam? Well, it starts out simply like this, consulting in your own heart, trying to finish in the flesh what God started in the Spirit. It's fearing that you're going to lose what God has promised. Sitting here this morning, we're going to go, how ridiculous is that? But we're all guilty of it. It's offering to the people what they want if you're a leader instead of what the Lord has said. And as the people, it's being willing to accept it. And to offer up honest, authentic worship at the altar of convenience. Church, on this Pentecost Sunday, a day when we should be reminded and renewed in the powering presence of the living God, I have to ask you, and I have to ask myself, are you being moved by the Spirit of God? Or are you being moved by the voices around you? Are you being moved by convenience and what's available to you? Or have you said in your heart, I've decided to follow Jesus and I'm not turning back?